Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we are discussing the state of international law and the war in Ukraine. Our guest, Marjorie Cohn, is Professor Emerita at Thomas Jefferson School of Law, former president of the National Lawyers Guild, member of the Bureau of the International Association of Democratic Lawyers and the advisory boards of the American Association of Jurists and of Veterans for Peace. Marjorie is a legal and political analyst who writes a regular column you should read at truthout.org. She has published several books on U.S. foreign policy, on torture, on drones. She is co-host of Law and Disorder Radio. She lectures, writes, provides commentary for local, regional, national, and international media outlets. Marjorie Cohn, welcome back to Talk World Radio. Thanks for having me, David. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for continuing to do the wonderful work you're doing. Uh, what is the, the state of international law and how is it being impacted by the outrages in Ukraine? Well, the state of international law, which is actually part of U.S. law under the supremacy clause of the Constitution that says treaties shall be the supreme law of the land, um, has been consistently weakened thanks to the United States and uh, Russia as well, Russia vetoing Security Council uh, resolution uh, to try to settle the situation in, in Ukraine. Um, but the International Court of Justice, also known as the World Court, is the judicial arm of the UN system. And it ruled that Russia must withdraw from Ukraine. Um, the General Assembly passed a resolution under the Uniting for Peace resolution, which it can do when the Security Council is deadlocked because of the veto of a permanent member, such as Russia in this case, um, also said that Russia should withdraw from Ukraine. Um, and the and so that's a question of of the legality of this particular operation, which constitutes um, a crime of aggression, an act of aggression for which theoretically Russian leaders could be put, punished, prosecuted and punished in the International Criminal Court. Now I can go into the reasons why that's not going to happen, um, but interestingly, and this goes to the. Uh, your, your, your question, David, is that although it's hard to get 100 U.S. senators to agree on anything, in fact, it's hard to get them to barely have a majority on any issue, all 100 of them unanimously passed a resolution calling on um, the International Criminal Court or other appropriate tribunal to prosecute uh, Russian leaders for war crimes. And interestingly, in the second paragraph of that resolution, uh, it's called a whereas clause, um, all hundred senators, U.S. senators agreed, quote, whereas the United States of America is a beacon for the values of freedom, democracy, and human rights across the globe, dot, 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 um, which is 
to my mind, the height of hypocrisy, given the wars of aggression that the United States prosecuted um, in Iraq, Afghanistan, Kosovo, and a number of other countries, and the commission of war crimes by U.S. forces, including torture, including killing civilians with the use of drones and other, other uh, bombings. Um, so you have a real double standard. Plus, there's also a double standard in the way that the U.S. government views the International Criminal Court. Since it came into force in 2002, and even before that, the U.S. government did everything it could to undermine the court. Um, in, and when Bill Clinton was leaving office, he signed the Rome Statute for the International Criminal Court. <clears throat> now, when a country signs a treaty, such as the Rome Statute, that indicates an intent to ratify the treaty. Uh, but it's not until the president sends the treaty to the Senate for advice and consent to ratification, and the Senate agrees by two-thirds majority uh, to ratify it, that the U.S. would actually become a party to the treaty, to the Rome Statute, and be bound by the International Criminal Court. So Bill Clinton put the U.S. signature on the Rome Statute as he was leaving office, but he recommended to the incoming president, George W. Bush, that he should not send it to the Senate for advice and consent to ratification. Well, not only did Bush decide not to send the Rome Statute to the Senate for advice and consent to ratification, in an unprecedented move, Bush unsigned the Rome Statute, took the U.S. signature off the Rome Statute. And then shortly thereafter, the U.S. Congress passed the American Servicemen's Protection Act, which includes a clause called the Hague Invasion Act, which says that if any country that is a party to the Rome Statute turns over any U.S. nationals to the court in the Hague, Netherlands, then the U.S. government can use military force to extract that person. Then the Bush administration um, basically blackmailed 100 countries that are parties to the Rome Statute um, into signing what are called bilateral immunity agreements. And uh, they say that the country agrees not to turn over U.S. nationals to the uh, International Criminal Court. And if it does, the U.S. will withhold foreign aid, uh, blackmail. Now, fast forward to 2020, when the prosecutor, the chief prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, um, initiated a formal investigation into the commission of war crimes and crimes against humanity in Afghanistan uh, by U.S. leaders, Taliban leaders, ISIS leaders, the new, uh, and, and okay, so Donald Trump uh, was very upset about that, so he imposed sanctions on some of the officials from the International Criminal Court. Now, Biden lifted those sanctions, but um, as Biden came into office, the new prosecutor of the International Criminal Court narrowed the investigation of the Afghanistan uh, in, uh, inquiry just to include Taliban and ISIS leaders 
uh, not U.S. leaders, even though there's been documented torture, which constitutes a war crime in the notorious Bagram prison and drone strikes, killing civilians and other evidence of U.S. war crimes, um, basically letting the U.S. off the hook. And I think this was a political move. And Biden is continuing to resist uh, an investigation by the International Criminal Court of Israeli leaders for war crimes committed uh, beginning in 2014 in so-called Operation Protective Edge um, <clears throat> and, uh, and continuing past that. Now, um, the former prosecutor of the International Criminal Court um, found reason to believe that war crimes were being committed in the West Bank, including East Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip, um, and she initiated her preliminary examination uh, at the ICC, International Criminal Court, six months after this 2014 Operation Protective Edge, when Israeli military forces killed 2,200 Palestinians, nearly one quarter of them children, and more than 80% of them civilians. And yet the Biden administration expressed, quote, serious concerns about the ICC's attempts to exercise its jurisdiction over Israeli personnel, unquote. So you have the U.S. government taking the position that um, it's not going to join the ICC, it's going to undermine it at every step of the way. Um, U.S. leaders and Israeli leaders should not be brought in before the court. And yet, 100 senators are urging the International Criminal Court to prosecute Russian leaders for war crimes. Uh, that to me is hypocrisy. The hypocrisy, Marjorie Cohn, is stark and, and staggering. Uh, and, and it seems to feed in also to a certain shamelessly open attitude of victor's justice, uh, where you have uh, media commentators uh, actually arguing that there should be no negotiation of peace, no ceasefire, no effort to end the war, among other ridiculous reasons, because you could not then have any criminal prosecutions if you negotiated with monsters uh, and ended a war. Uh, and I'm wondering what you think of that uh, that claim and that attitude, and whether you think there's any way to advance this sort of victor's justice and turn it into any sort of, of, of serious, universal, fair justice, uh, or whether it needs to be opposed because the hypocrisy actually weakens the idea of international law. Well, first of all, victor's justice, uh, we saw that in the Nuremberg tribunals where um, the Nazi leaders were tried, convicted, and many of them hung uh, for their crimes during the Holocaust. Um, and the Tokyo tribunal where uh, Japanese military leaders were also tried, convicted, and hung for war crimes, including waterboarding, by the way. <clears throat> um, but you never saw US leaders uh, being prosecuted for perhaps the uh, most outrageous crimes against humanity in the history of the world, and that was the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki with, with atomic bombs. Um, so victor's justice means that the victor uh, is the only one who gets justice against the, the vanquished. Um, but saying that if there was a negotiated peace um, to Russia's aggression in Ukraine, that would prevent 
uh, the prosecution of Russian leaders for war crimes, crimes against humanity is, uh, is absolutely false. That's mixing apples and oranges. Um, there should be uh, a diplomatic solution and negotiated peace that's required um, by the International Court of Justice, by the um, United Nations Charter. And yet the United States has actually been interfering with dip a diplomatic solution to the, to the crisis. I think China would be in a perfect position to broker and get involved in a diplomatic solution. China and Russia are very close and China actually abstained from the resolutions, the secu failed Security Council resolution and the resolution in the General Assembly. So China is in a very good position to broker a peace, but any uh, diplomatic solution must include not just calling on Russia to cease all military activity and withdraw its troops, but also should address Russia's national security concerns, which have been going on for years and which is kind of a backdrop to its war of aggression, which is not justified in any way. It's an illegal aggression. But if you look at the role that the U.S led NATO has played uh, in that region, um, the US promising uh, this, the, as the Soviet Union was, was falling, um, that it would not uh, ask, it would not enlist membership in NATO, um, not offer uh, membership in NATO to countries, former Soviet bloc countries, former Warsaw Pact countries, and yet, uh, some 11 countries now uh, have become members of NATO that fall in those categories. And Russia is surrounded by um, hostile countries, uh, US military bases, nuclear weapons. There is, um, on February the 21st, the New York Times reported on the front page um, that there was a top secret US military base being that would be open this year in Poland, 100 miles from the Russian border. Um, and uh, that it got almost no press in the corporate media, very little press in the alternative media. Um, but so Russia has real valid security concerns. And the reason is that under the, the NATO has no reason for existing anymore, really. Uh, if it ever did, it was a counterweight to the Soviet Union at one point, but it has functioned not as a defensive uh, alliance, but as an offensive military alliance um, in, uh, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in uh, Kosovo, in Libya, et cetera. So the Article 5 of the NATO Treaty um, says that if there is an attack on one member country of NATO, then the other NATO countries go to its uh, help it out militarily. And that's why Russia is so intent on Ukraine not becoming a member of NATO. Because if Ukraine was a member of NATO under Article 5 of the uh, North, America, uh, North Atlantic Treaty, um, then the NATO countries would be in Ukraine fighting against Russia. Um, now, that's, there's, a, there's another issue here, too, and that is that this Article 5 of the North Atlantic Treaty actually violates the United Nations Charter. The United Nations Charter only allows one country to use military force in another country uh, if it's acting in self-defense or with the consent of the Security Council. And neither of those things happened before Russia uh, invaded Ukraine. So I think basically the answer to your question is 
Um, there should be a negotiated diplomatic settlement yesterday uh, of this horrific war in Ukraine where people are dying, civilians are being targeted, war crimes are being committed, refugees are, are leaving by the, by the thousands and, the, and uh, millions, really. Um, and that should not preclude um, prosecution of Russian leaders and Ukrainian leaders if they've committed war crimes as well. Arguably, there's crimes against humanity being committed by um, the Ukrainian government. There, in the uh, New York Times the other day, there was a story about how Ukraine's using cluster bombs in violation of a treaty that neither the US, Russia, nor Ukraine have uh, ratified. Surprise, surprise. Um, but that should take place. And if it doesn't take place in the International Criminal Court, it should take place uh, in, in, in uh, a special tribunal. It can't be established by the Security Council because Russia has a veto and wouldn't allow it. Or by individual countries under the well-established uh, doctrine of universal jurisdiction, which has been used. It was used by uh, Israel to try, convict, and hang Adolf Eichmann for being the architect of the Holocaust, even though there was no direct relationship with Israel. The United States tried, convicted, and sentenced Chucky e. Taylor of Liberia to uh, prison. I think it was 97 years in prison for torture in, in Liberia. It had nothing to do with the U.S. It was a war crime. So, um, the pro prohibition uh, on aggression is considered to be jus cogens. That means it's a peremptory norm of international law, the highest norm of international law from which no country can ever uh, digress or, or derogate. Um, and uh, there's no statute of limitations for the crime of aggression. Um, and uh, there is uh, no immunity defense for the crime of aggression. Um, so there should be prosecution. Now, during the Bush administration, um, the government of Belgium started to investigate under universal jurisdiction um, Donald Rumsfeld and some other U.S. leaders for their torture and war crimes during the so-called war on terror. Um, the Bush administration blackmailed Belgium and said, if you don't drop that investigation, we're going to pull the headquarters of NATO out of Brussels and Belgium back down. During the Obama administration, the, the prosecutor, chief prosecutor in Spain, was investigating the Bush torture lawyers, John Yu, Jay Bybee, uh, for their torture and war crimes. And the Obama administration effectively nixed that um, with probably back channel communications. <clears throat> the, um, uh, the government of Spain asked the Obama administration, are you mounting a criminal investigation of these lawyers uh, because if it was, then they wouldn't take jurisdiction, Spain wouldn't take jurisdiction because the United States would be taking care of it. Um, but the Obama administration gave Spain a non-responsive answer saying, well, there was a civil investigation, an ethical investigation, and they found poor judgment. Well, actually, what happened is they found professional misconduct and a political appointee downgraded it to poor judgment. But that was a civil matter. That was not a criminal matter. That was a non-responsive answer that the Obama administration gave to the government of Spain and Spain backed down. So there's a lot of pressure um, on countries who want to bring people to justice for the most heinous of crimes. And I'm talking about war crimes, genocide crimes against humanity and the crime of aggression. 
Uh, so I'm just not sure that that is going to happen. Should it happen? Yes. Will it happen? Probably not. Yeah, it seems to me like the United States and Russia, the pair of them, have 90% of the nuclear weapons, are leading abstainers and violators of treaties, uh, deal the majority of the weapons to the rest of the world, uh, issue the majority of the vetoes, blocking any democratic actions at the UN Security Council, and the rest of the world puts up with rogue nations like this when they're bullies and push the rest of the world around. Uh, and so uh, a, for a country or a group of countries to use universal jurisdiction, they would have to go up against the sort of measures you just described coming down on Belgium and Spain. Uh, but if you tried instead to go through the International Criminal Court, uh, which is also under the thumb of at least the United States, if not Russia, uh, well, you know, during World War II, they only prosecuted the things that the victors hadn't done. So they didn't prosecute bombing cities, et cetera. Now they're not going to want to prosecute, as far as I can tell, virtually any atrocity because in different proportions, both sides are doing every atrocity. So it's going to be just the crime of aggression, the crime of starting the war, which I don't know if that can succeed given the buildup and the escalation by the other side uh, that provoked and helped start the war. But if it could, and if you could excuse not prosecuting any previous wars because there wasn't the ability to do it until 2018, would that be a step in the right direction? to have Russia prosecuted for starting a war, even though nobody was prosecuted for attacking Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, et cetera? Uh, would that help or hurt things? Well, first of all, the International Criminal Court is a criminal tribunal and it prosecutes individuals, not countries. So we're talking about individual leaders. Right. And just because US leaders were not prosecuted in the International Criminal Court or anywhere else for that matter, which they should have been, doesn't mean that Russian leaders should not be prosecuted or Ukrainian leaders if they're committing war crimes. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so, uh, but the, there is at this point, no way that Russian leaders are going to be prosecuted for the crime of aggression. And, and I just want to define briefly the crime of aggression. Um, the Nuremberg Tribunal called it the supreme international crime, differing only from other war crimes in that it contains within itself the accumulated evil of the whole. And uh, Justice Robert Jackson, who was the chief prosecutor at the Nuremberg Tribunal, said, if certain acts in violation of treaties are crimes, they are crimes whether the United States does them or whether Germany does them. And we're not prepared to lay down a rule of criminal conduct against others, which we would not be willing to have invoked against us. Well, the Rome Statute defines the crime of aggression as the planning, preparation, initiation, or execution by a person in a position effectively to exercise control over or to direct the political or military action of a state of an act of aggression, which, by its character, gravity, and scale constitutes a manifest violation of the Charter of the United Nations. So what is an act of aggression? Well, an act of aggression um, includes, adopts the central prohibition of the UN Charter against the use of aggressive force. 
Um, and an act of aggression is the use of armed force by a state against the sovereignty, territorial integrity, or political independence of another state or in any other manner inconsistent with the Charter of the United Nations. Now, as I said, the Charter only allows the use of military force in self-defense or with the consent of the Security Council. So there, the crime of aggression is being committed by Russian leaders, but um, the way that the amendment to the Rome Statute has been interpreted uh, recently by France and Great Britain and other countries is to uh, narrow it so much that if a country has not actually um, ratified that amendment about defining aggression, then it can't be prosecuted. Um, and uh, now, neither Russia nor Ukraine have ratified the Rome Statute. They're not parties to the Rome Statute, but Ukraine did accept the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court. Um, and so that means that Russian leaders could be tried for crimes committed in the territory of Ukraine for war crimes and crimes against humanity, if not for the crime of aggression. And also it means that Ukrainian leaders could also be prosecuted for any crimes they commit as well. Yeah, that's the that's the sticking point, right? Because uh, Washington would not want Ukrainians prosecuted uh, for their crimes, only Russians prosecuted for their crimes. We we've got just a couple minutes left. Marjorie Cohn, I, I, I wonder what you imagine as a possible future should everything go right for these sorts of courts. I mean, I imagine a day in which you have a court that's independent of the biggest national powers that prosecutes both sides of every war to whatever extent they're guilty and to a greater extent, the longer the war goes on and the crimes pile up and thereby becomes a force for urging the the ending of a war, for cutting it short to to cut to to shorten the prosecutions uh, rather than being used as a tool, uh, weaponized as a as part of one side of a war or as an argument against ending a war and for continuing the slaughter. You know, I think ideally you're right, David, but is it going to happen? I'm very skeptical when you have countries like the United States and Russia who are going to stymie uh, that uh, the, the effective, op and China as well, uh, the effective operation of, uh, of any real international criminal tribunal and international criminal court. And the U.S. has certainly done that consistently. Uh, what, and, and the U.S., by the way, has been involved in the negotiations on aggression and on other matters, even though it's not a party to the Rome Statute. So um, the U.S. government wants to have it both ways. It is trying to trash the court and every opportunity it gets, and yet it's saying, but the court should uh, prosecute Russian leaders, you know, which, as I said, is, is highly uh, hypocritical. So um, I, I wish I could be more optimistic. Um, I think we have to continue to talk about the rule of law, about international law, uh, and, and uh, you know, about peace and the UN Charter. Um, but it's an uphill battle, unfortunately. 
Well, I'm glad you're working your way up that hill, and I hope uh, that we get a little bit farther. Marjorie Cohn has been our guest. She is Professor Emerita at the Thomas Jefferson School of Law. Marjorie, thank you very much for everything you're doing and for coming on Talk World Radio. Thanks so much, David, and thanks for your great work as well. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.